As I mentioned, we're in a series, a summer series, in the book of Proverbs, which is one of the five books of wisdom in the Old Testament. And Proverbs was written primarily by King Solomon, the the third of the kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. And he was known to be the wisest man in the world, and he's given us many things to think about this summer. And this morning, we're specifically friendships. And so, uh, went from, really from this point forward, that it's topical, so we're not going to be able to just to read a whole chapter or part of a chapter because Proverbs isn't written that way. So we have to take a topic like friendship and mention several different verses. Uh, the verses I'm going to be referring to are all written on the back of your bulletin in, uh, underneath the sermon notes. And I'll just try to read forward, uh, through them deliberately. And if you want to, Try to find your way through, or you just want to sit and listen, either way. Uh, The main verse I'm going to start with is Proverbs 18.24. Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the main one that we're going to be looking at. So then as I just look through these... Uh, in order, turning to Proverbs thirteen twenty, it says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Verses, chapter 17, verse 17, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find? 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of of an enemy. So you take a moment to reflect there on God's word and then we'll uh, talk about those verses on friendship. There are many excellent movies made about the topic of friendship, uh, but I think the best movie about friendships is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Because I think you could just take that whole movie and say it's really about friendships. It's really about how There's joys in friendships, there's tensions, there's brokenness, and there's power in these friendships. And although there's a lot of great friendships in the movie, if you're familiar with the movie, uh, the greatest friendship is this, the friendship at the center is between Frodo, these two little hobbits, Frodo and Samwise Gamgee, if you know those two characters. And in case you're not familiar with the Lord of the Rings uh, movies, you should be. And they're on television all the time. So anytime you want to watch television, one of those movies is on. So you should just watch it. But in case you're not familiar with the story, Frodo's been given this heavy burden. And he has to carry this ring. And it's a very powerful ring. It's a very corrupting ring. And he has to take the ring back to where it was made and throw it into this volcano that's called Mount Doom. Such a great picture from Tolkien. And so on his way, it's a very long journey, 
It's a very heavy burden. So Frodo's going to need a lot of friendships to get in there. He's not going to be able to get there on his own. And although many people help Frodo reach Mount Doom, Samwise Gamgee is the one who's really the one at, at his side the whole time. And so I want to just play a little two-minute clip of uh, this relationship between Frodo and Samwise Gamgee. It's just to set it up, Frodo has decided mistakenly that at this, at this point in his journey, he should go on by himself. It's just too dangerous. Uh, it's cost a lot for people to be around him. So he's just concluded, again, mistakenly, that he should just go off on his own and get to Mount Doom on his own. And, of course, Samwise Wise Gamgee won't allow him to do that. And so we'll watch this clip. Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Oh, Sam. That's a great part of that movie. And even if you don't know the movie, you just want to tear up just because of their friendship. You know, I'm going to go alone. Yes, I know. And with me. And this, this idea that I made a promise. I made a promise. You stay with your friend. Even if the friend tries to go by himself, you will stay with the friend. I made a promise and I don't mean to leave you. It's such a great picture of friendship, and especially Christian friendship. This main verse that we're talking about this morning is that there is a man of many companions. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend. There is a Samwise Gamgee who sticks closer than a brother. And so as we look at the wisdom in Proverbs 
it gives us many points of wisdom, but one of the main things it tells us is that in order to live a wise life, in order to live a healthy life, in order to live a life that stays on the straight and narrow, you must have friendships. You must have good quality friendships if you're going to stay on that. You're, you're going to have to be a person who can choose wise friendships, who can continue to forge wise friendships, and continue to maintain wise friendships. If we're going to stay on this path that Christ has called us to, we're going to have to have a number of different friendships. But there are going to be a, a few like Sam and Frodo that you just promise I'm never going to leave. Even if you try to get out of my way, I'm going to come chasing after you. Dave Ramsey, the financial expert, says this about your salary. Your income will be within 10% of the average income of your 10 closest friends. Your income will be within 10% of the average income of your 10 closest friends. Some of you are saying, I need some new friends. <laughs> and I want to I just want to change that. I want to tweak that to say this, your spiritual wealth and wisdom will be within 10% of your 10 closest friends. Your spiritual wealth, your spiritual wisdom, I promise you will be within 10% of your 10 closest friends. And some of you are saying, I need some new friendships. And it may be that you need some new friendships. Proverbs says it this way. It's really saying the same thing, 1320. He who walks with the wise, what happens? They grow wise. And if you're a companion of fools, you suffer harm. This is, everyone should know this. this you don't have to be a Christian to understand this. You're going to become like the people you're around. So if you're a middle school student here or you're a high school student here and you just can't understand why your parents are on you about your friends, now you know. They know what you should know is that you're going to become like the people you hang around. And you might say foolishly, Oh, but I'm trying to witness to them. I'm trying to be a good influence on them. And I can tell you what's going to happen almost 100% of the time is they're going to be a greater influence on you. It's exactly what Cody said in his testimony. I hung around this group maybe hoping I could be a good influence on them, but they were such a powerful influence on me that I fell into their path rather than them falling into my path. And so we have to think about our friendships. You have to consider who your friends are. Do you have the kinds of friends like Sam Wives Gamgee? Now, you're not going to have a hundred of these, but do you have a few of these people who will even drown trying to get to you? Are you that kind of friend for somebody? Not just do you have somebody like that, but... Are you like that for somebody? That even if they try to walk away, even if they hurt your feelings, you're going to still come after them because you've made a promise. You're going to be friends with them best as you can for your lifetime. And so this morning I want to examine the importance of friendships. And I want to look at under three headings. First, the, the constancy. 
necessary for friendships. Second, the counsel provided in friendships. And third, the care required to maintain friendships. So constancy, counsel, and care. Constancy. Another word for that is faithfulness. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Or Proverbs 26. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful friend. Many people say they love you, but a faithful friend, a person who's going to jump into the water even though they can't swim, who can find those kinds of people? And when you, when you think about 1717, a, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity, what, what that's really saying is a brother is stuck with you. Your family is stuck with you. Or you're stuck with your family. Some of you might be thinking that way. You didn't get to choose your family. You're just born into your family. And most of the time when, when some family member experiences some adversity, they usually will kind of come around and try to figure out, can we help our, our brother? Or can we help our sister? Can we help our son? Can we help our daughter? But it's different with a friend. A friend chooses you. And they're going to be with you at all times. Your family may, you may not be friends with your family. They just may be your family. But a friend chooses you. Or you choose a friend. And you're going to be there all the time. You're going to be there when it's great. You're going to be there most of the time when it's just normal time. And you're going to be there in adversity. You have chosen to say, I'm going to be there at all the times. Many, many people may be your companion. Many people may proclaim their steadfast love, but a, a true friend, a constant friend, a faithful friend is there at all times. If you have a friend like this, you have something of tremendous value, and you should be thankful for them, and you should say thank you for being that kind of friend for me. One of the greatest friendships detailed in the Bible, one of the greatest friendships in cinema, I think, is this friendship here. One of the greatest friendships in the Bible is David and Jonathan. You might remember David and Jonathan. Saul is the first king of Israel. And he is chosen and he has a reign. And really, it's just a a terrible reign where he reigns over Israel. It just goes downhill from the beginning. But he has a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan is his oldest son, and because he's his oldest son, he's in line for the throne. He knows it. Everyone knows it. The eldest son is going to be the next king. And Jonathan has a good heart, unlike Saul. And it says at one point they were trying to battle against the Philistines, and Saul couldn't figure out what to do. So Jonathan takes his armor bearer. And he goes against 20 Philistines, and he defeats the 20 Philistines by himself with the armor bearer. And that rout of 20 men causes all the Israelite soldiers to gather underneath uh, Jonathan and have a great victory. And everyone said, uh, Jonathan is the savior of Israel. Not Saul, but Jonathan. Everybody knew Jonathan was going to be the king. Jonathan got leaders underneath him. He was a a leader of leaders. And that's what we know about Jonathan. That's mostly found in 1 Samuel 14. Then in chapter 17, 
another person comes along, David. He pops onto the scene. And it's a similar scene where there's a battle against the Philistines and Saul doesn't know what to do. And Samuel walks into the camp. And you remember the great battle. It's against uh, Goliath and whoever the Israelites would send out. And we all know the story. David comes out and defeats the Goliath. His one defeat causes everybody to rush in behind David. And there's a great defeat of the, the Philistines. Afterwards, they sing a song about how David is going to be the savior of Israel. David's leadership produces incredible loyalty from other soldiers. And God appoints David as the next king. Chapter 18, Jonathan and David meet. Now, what are you anticipating right away? Just a clash of titans. Here are these two men who, who, who've done battle. They've gotten men behind them. Jonathan is in, is, is in the path for being the king, but God has given that to David. And I want to just read to you this very first meeting, and you'll see this friendship develop. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, David speaking to Saul, Jonathan's next to him. Jonathan, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. What a great phrase of a, of a constant, a faithful friendship. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And Saul took David that day and wouldn't let, let him return to his father's house. So he lived with Saul and Jonathan. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan, notice what he does. He strips himself of his robe. He gives it to David. He gives his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. And he makes a covenant that he will follow after David. And David went out from that point and had great success. You would expect some kind of bitterness. You'd expect some kind of rivalry. But Jonathan's soul was knit together with David's. So Jonathan is willing to sacrifice. He does the, the very opposite of what you might expect. He, he says to David, I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to make this covenant with you. I, I made a promise. I, I mean to stick with it. I'm going to give you the shirt off my back, David. And I wonder what would happen to you if God gives your friend something you wanted. I have a lot of pastor friends. And when they come and tell me about their building campaign, their budget, the size of their congregation... The influence they seem to have. Can I, can I say, I'll do whatever I could to help you. Or does it make me jealous? Does it make me a little bit bitter? See, a real friend wouldn't be like that. A real friend would say, I'm celebrating with you. Even though God has given you something I had hoped for for myself. I'm more for you than I am for myself. Now, this is a mighty test of a friendship. 
when God gives something to your friend you had been wanting for yourself, what's your emotional response? Can you celebrate with them? Proverbs 20, verse 6. A faithful friend, who can find? See, Solomon's saying, you can't find a lot of these people. Because when you enjoy success, a lot of people become bitter. They, they withdraw. They become jealous. They become envious. Who can find a friend like that? But he's also saying you can't live a wise life unless you have a friend that's constant. That in all times, good times, normal times, or adverse times, you have a friend who's faithful. Second, the counsel that we need from a friend. Let's look at Proverbs 27, 5, and 6. These verses go together. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. 27, 5, 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse or many are the kisses of an enemy. So these are parallel statements. Open rebuke is, is equal to wounds of a friend. Hidden love is equal to the kisses of an enemy. And what the, what the proverb is trying to say here is that many people don't enjoy delivering wounded words. Most people don't want to wound somebody else with some sort of assessment of somebody's character or attitude. If you enjoy doing that, then you've got trouble yourself. But nobody really wants to go to their friend and say, I, I can see something in you. I, I see where I'm observing something, and you know it's going to be wounding to them. Very few people enjoy that. And, and sometimes people will say something like this. Oh, I love the person too much to cause any conflict or to confront. But, but you know, don't you, that it's not loving to leave somebody in their sin. It's not a kindness to leave somebody in their sin. And especially if you're their friend. Really, if you do that, you're no better than the kisses of an enemy. You just want to flatter. You never really want to confront. But a true friend, a true friend, his rebuke will be open. And it will be like the wounds of a friend a true friend knows when to overlook and knows when to confront. And he's, he or she's willing to intersect a friendship to say, I see you're going down a path of destruction, and I love you too much for you to keep going down that path. I'm willing to risk our friendship for you to be going in the right direction. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have a friend who has the courage to confront you, you should thank them immediately after the sermon. There are not many people who are really willing to do that. Many people have many companions and say, oh, I love that person. But they never really want to confront them with some kind of sin, with some kind of character flaw. And so a real friendship requires both receiving and delivering this kind of assessment. Many years ago... One of my best friends, a guy I met in college, uh, asked me to be his best man in his wedding. And I was like, man, I'd, I'd be honored to be your best man. 
He said, I just want you to, you're the person I trust the most. I want you to be standing beside me. I want you to be affirming what I'm doing. And I was like, man, I, I couldn't be more honored to do that for you. I really didn't know his fiance that well. But there was, you know, several months before their marriage. And in the meantime, I was getting to know them as a couple. And almost immediately I thought, oh, man, I don't think this is the right person. It just I could just see my friend's character getting connected to her character and it just becoming toxic. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Separately, they were okay, but somehow together, just the way it mixed was, was just combustion. And here, here, he's one of my best friends. He's asked me to stand next to him in his wedding. What should I do? And man, I just sweated bullets over this conversation. But I can remember I was in a Quincy's restaurant. Remember Quincy's? Are there still Quincy's around? Not a high-end restaurant, but we're sitting there, poor, poor, just out of college students. And I've said to my friend Scott, I don't think she's the one, man. I put our friendship on the line. Now, not just because of that conversation, but because he could start seeing some of the things I saw, he didn't marry her. And it was a great decision that he didn't, but it was a terrifying moment for me to say, I love you enough to risk our entire friendship to tell you what you're asking me to do for you as your best man. I wonder if if you have a friendship like that, that you're willing to confront them and you're willing to receive their, their confrontation. Again, many years ago, I, the first time I spoke at a Young Life camp at Windy Gap, I'd spent many times speaking to kids in a, in a living room, but this was 400, 450 high school students from North Carolina, and I'm the speaker for the weekend. And I'd never done a series of talks, and on the weekend was going to be my mentor, the person who sort of grew me up in Young Life. And I said, hey, you're with a bunch of high school students but can you really just analyze how I do on the weekend with these club talks? Because I'm sure I'm going to do this again in my lifetime. And so could you help me out? Sure, I'd be happy to, Paul. So about a week after the, the camp's over, I get a letter in the mail. And it opens with a nice paragraph of all the wonderful things he thought I did. And then a page, a page. I remember every word on that page of things that needed to be corrected. A paragraph versus a page. It's still getting to me right now. (laughs) And I vowed I would never ask him to evaluate me ever again. No, I didn't do that. Why? That's how you get better. You have somebody who has the courage to say, Paul, you have a future in doing this, but in order to get better, these are the things, and today it may be a whole page. My hope in the future, it's a page of compliments and just a paragraph of things that need to be changed. And I'm wondering if you have somebody like that in your life. Are you somebody like that? In somebody else's life. 
Proverbs 13, 1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke. A scoffer is someone who starts defending themselves before you stop giving your comments. You know somebody like this? You're saying, hey, I would like to tell you something about this, and you go into it, and before you're halfway done, they're already defending themselves. That person is a fool, according to Proverbs. And my question here on just this counsel, are you open to a wounding assessment of your character? Or if somebody's willing to say that, are you immediately defending yourself before they're done? Then you're a scoffer. You're a fool. If you're the one delivering the wound, are you careful to examine your motives? Do you think through how you would say it, why you would say it? Do you think about what's going on in your own heart before you're trying to examine their heart? See, there's a great difference between the scalpel in the hands of a surgeon and a knife in the hand of an enemy. They both are going to make a cut, but one is to heal and one is to harm. And so if you're angry at your friend, you know to step back. Because you might have mixed up motives on why you're going to say what you're going to say. The, the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21, has the power of life and death. So if you're making your assessment, are you sure your wounds are meant for life and not death? And if you're delivering wounds when you are angry, usually harm was going to come. Ray Ortland, who's written a great book, commentary on Proverbs, says this. I love this quote. Our various family backgrounds left us all at least a little weird. <laughs> Not my daughter, but other families. <clears throat> so we need an honest friend outside of our family. We need to go to another person and say, help me see myself. Help me get sharper for Christ. And if no other person in your church is good enough to play that role for you, then the problem is you. Got to have somebody who can play that role. And if your assessment is nobody's really qualified to do that, then you're a big problem. Do you have a friend who, when they wound you, you can trust? If you do, you have a very rare person. A very valuable person in your life. You should be thankful. So uh, uh, friendships are necessary. You've got to have a, a faithful, a constant friend. You have to have somebody who's willing to give you good counsel. And finally, you have to have somebody who has a caring heart. Uh, because these friendships are so rare and so valuable, you have to take care of them. Let me just give you two proverbs about this care. Proverbs eleven twelve. whoever belittles his neighbor or friend, when you're belittling, you make someone small, you're looking down. Whoever belittles his friend lacks sense. But a man of understanding remains, knows when to remain quiet. In your friendships, 
in your heart, in your friendships, is there ever any hint of superiority? Does, does what you say make someone feel small? How about in your marriage? Even if your assessment is right, but you're making them feel small, you're not caring for your friendship. You're crushing a friendship. Somebody who cares for their friend doesn't shout down. They, they get down. They get underneath the person in order to try to help them up. And if you, as the person who needs to confront your friend, has this feeling of superiority, if you feel it rising up inside of you, then you know what you should do according to this proverb. Remain silent. Just say, right now, in my spirit, it's not time for me to say something right now. It wouldn't come out as caring. It wouldn't be seen as caring because I'm feeling superior. I'm feeling superior. I'm, I feel that I'm going to start talking down to the person, and I don't want to do that. So I'm wise. I, I have good sense. I know when to remain silent. And, and I hope you know as a friend that everything your friend says doesn't require your brilliant insight. Do you hear me? Everything your friend says does not require your immediate feedback. This can be so difficult to learn. But sometimes it's more caring to just remain silent and to listen. I'm reading a book called Soul Keeping really a very interesting book and help, been helpful to me. And the author of the book tells a story about one of his professors, a professor in philosophy, a guy who's written many Christian books, a guy named Dallas Willard. And he makes this observation about Dallas Willard in one of his philosophy classes. Toward the end of one of his philosophy classes, a student raised an objection that was both insulting towards Dallas and clearly wrong. Instead of correcting him, Dallas gently said, this would be a good place to end the class for the day. Afterward, a friend approached Dallas and said, why didn't you let, why did you let him get away with that, Dallas, get away with that? And Dallas replied, I was practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. See, I wonder if in your friendships, and maybe especially the friendship of your marriage, and your wife or your particularly your husband says something really stupid. Sometimes can you just not have the last word? Or, oh, I've got to say something. I've got to give my intellect to this particular moment. Now, maybe sometimes you do. But is it possible you could just display this kind of humility that I don't have to have the last word? I'm so glad that people don't correct me on every stupid thing I say. And if you're a friend who feels like you need to correct everything in your friend, you're not going to have very many friends. So do you understand when it's good to remain silent? If you do, it's a caring part of being a good friend. 
Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. We disappoint our friends. But, but a wise person understands how to cover that with forgiveness. And the way they understand it is they know God has covered over their, 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 their need for forgiveness. Why doesn't God keep embarrassing us with our failures? Why doesn't he keep repeating them? Why? He wants your friendship. And so we don't keep repeating them. We cover some of these sins because we, we want our sinning friend more than we want payback for what they've done. But gossips don't do that. They keep repeating the matter until the friendship eventually separates. Real friendships shouldn't be fragile, but they're going to require care. And you might just ask yourself, is there some... Some care, some attention I need to give to a friendship. I've neglected a friendship. I've rejected somebody's wounds. I've I've not been willing to cover an offense. Instead, I keep repeating the matter and it's really separated us, whatever that may be. Well, I could list a hundred more proverbs about friendships, but when you... Read through it, you get a picture of the ideal friend. A friend who says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be constant. A friend who makes sacrifices. They take off their robe and put it around you. A friend who delivers wounds of correction, but they, they can be trusted. They bring healing. They don't bring harm. A friend who bends down and doesn't speak down. A friend who covers over our offense because they want our friendship. There's only one friend like that. Jesus. Proverbs tells us about the ideal friendship, but he, this, this man knows there is nobody like Jesus. He is the one who's the perfect friend. And if you know Jesus... If you understand his friendship with you, then that's going to fuel, give fuel to your friendships with one another. So when it's hard to cover over an offense, you're going to remember how many offenses Jesus has covered over to keep our friendship going. When it's hard to go after somebody who seems to be running away from you, you're going to remember Jesus coming after you when you've been running away from him. You see, his friendship informs and fuels how we have our friendships. There are a lot of little places in the Bible that you'd want to see or have been and experience this little moment. And, of course, the parting of the Red Sea or something like that. But smaller little moments, little phrases that got said, and you just want to feel the impact of that. And one of those is in the upper room. Just before Jesus goes to the cross, he looks at his friends. He looks at his disciples and says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my, what? You're my friend. I made a promise. 
Don't you leave him. And I don't mean to. Let's pray together. Lord, your friendship is beyond what we could even ask or imagine. You actually died. You actually drowned in our sin in order to have our friendship, which is just stunning. And because we really have a friendship with God, now, now we can have a genuine friendship. We can have our souls knit to another person. We could receive a, a wound without totally running away or unraveling. We can chase after. We can cover over an offense. We can care for a friend. We can be there in all times. Lord, I pray for my friends here that they would know and love your friendship with them. And that would encourage them and their friendships here to live a wise life and know how to follow after you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.